Hey, thank you for being here. I look forward to being with you this quarter. There'll be some weekends where I will be away, uh, but I'm, I will uh, be speaking most uh, weeks and look forward to that. Uh, let me introduce myself to some of you, perhaps, that don't know me as well as others. I'm Steve Wages. I'm director of the Cloverdale Center for Youth and Family Ministry uh, here at Faulkner, and I teach family studies. That is to say, I'm not a theologian. Uh, my master's is in marriage and family therapy. My PhD work is in family studies, and I look to integrate faith and learning. You know, the Bible is a book about relationships, right? And family studies is a discipline that studies relationships. And I'm appreciative to the elders that... Uh, I've asked them that if I teach here at university, could I teach on things that would maybe fit well and enhance what I do through Cloverdale and my work at Faulkner and such. And uh, they have been gracious enough, and I do appreciate uh, the willingness to let me do that. And so I tend to speak on topics related to family, and our conversations tend to be more topical. And probably this class, I suspect, with uh, Brother May, who I appreciate so much, Cecil, and others, uh, Billy, who teaches this class, uh, have done so faithfully for years and are to be applauded for that, uh, are probably uh, teaching uh, more of a textual class, more of an exegesis, perhaps expository kinds of teaching. And I'm just forewarning you that I think our format and conversation will be a little different from maybe what you've been accustomed to. But I hope you'll find that to be okay. I hope you'll find that to be a good thing, uh, perhaps. So uh, we will most definitely integrate Scripture into some of what we have learned about of families. Oh, I like this topic. Well, I guess we're still working to get it back. All right, so I'll keep my eye on the screen here. I call it intentional grandparenting, passing our faith on to our grandchildren. Now, normally when I speak, I like to challenge an audience to raise the bar, to, to raise the expectations for ourselves. And I'm suggesting to you that the title, Intentional Grandparenting, is intentional. The title is intentional. Because I think we need to raise the bar, the level of expectation that we have for ourselves as grandparents and the influence that we have in the lives of our grandchildren and the passing of our faith on to our children's children. You with me? Let's expect more of ourselves as grandparents. I tell people uh, I've, I've learned enough mistakes to train everybody here. So most of the time when I speak, I'm speaking to Steve. And uh, that's what we will do when it comes to grandparenting as well. Looks like we're getting close. I've got a picture on the back. And... Uh, so maybe we're getting close to getting it to the front. If we were to look for a scriptural foundation of what we will be doing over several weeks here, 
I would encourage you to look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Yes, that worked fine. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Teach them to your children and to your children's children. That would be our grandchildren, right? But let's back up here. Maybe you can help me a bit. I do like audience participation. Only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things what your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart. Can anybody tell me something their eyes have seen? What had their eyes seen? Have you thought about that? Somebody? Okay, God has taken care of them. They have seen the faithfulness of God, right? They have seen God providing for their needs. Uh, someone else? What have they seen? Oh, wow, God's caring, God's provision, clothes and shoes not wear out. What else have they seen? I like that. How so? Like manna falling from, falling from heaven, quail, right? Uh, they had seen the power of God, hadn't they? They had seen God work in powerful and faithful ways. I think that's what's being referred to here. Do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Don't forget the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the provision of God, and you tell it. You teach it to your children and your children's children. And when I read this, I couldn't help but think, how much have I taught my children's children, my grandchildren, about the faithfulness of God, the provision of God, and the power of God in my life? I can tell you there are certain places in my life where I truly believe God was leading and directing and providing and showed his power in my own life in some way, in his faithfulness and in his caring, have I told my grandchildren those stories? Of perhaps where I was at or we were at a crossroads and we were discerning the will of God to go this way or that way and, and God was faithful and cared for us. And provided for us. And showed his power in our lives. Have I told my grandchildren? I think that's what Deuteronomy 4 9 is saying. And that's what I mean by, we, hey, I want to challenge me to share the stories with my own grandchildren. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. With a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, 
I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in whom? Your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Oh, the sincere faith. That sincere faith faith first lived in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, then Mother Eunice, and was passed on down to him. And that's what we're called to do, is show that sincere faith and pass it down to our children. It's uh, children's children. Uh, It's not specifically about grandparenting, but the biblical principle applies here. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. In other words, you take them wherever you go. Your father's commands, your mother's teaching. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you're awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. The teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. What a powerful scripture. Obviously, speaking directly to parents, uh, father and mother, and the commands. But I submit to you that it applies to teaching your children and your children's children. Right? What? To keep these commands. To bind them upon your heart. Fasten them around your neck. Wherever you go, you take them with you. When you walk, they will give direction to your path. When you sleep, they will watch over you. You can sleep in comfort. You can sleep peacefully because you know and are directed and guided by the commands of God. When you're awake, they will speak to you throughout your day. For these commands are lamp, they give light unto your life. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training, in the instruction, in the teaching of the Lord. And I submit to you, that's an instruction for us to teach our children's children. Now, I don't know if you're a movie buff or not. I'm really not. I have a few favorites, and one of mine is the movie Parenthood. I don't know if you remember it from many years ago with Steve Martin and such, but if you watch the movie, you, uh, you know that Steve uh, Martin Gill is his character, Gil is very unsure of himself as a parent. Uh, Frankly, he's afraid he's going to mess up his kids, okay? Aren't we all? He's afraid he's going to mess up his kids. And so he's got three children, and kind of unexpectedly, his wife, Karen, is expecting, number four. And he's really anxious about it. He's upset about it. He's afraid he's going to mess up his kids, right? So they're having this conversation in the kitchen, Gil and Karen. He's sharing all this anxiety about a fourth child. And Karen looks at him at some point and and says to him, well, these, 
These are children. They're not appliances. They don't come with a guarantee. Life is messy. And Gil says, I, I, I hate messy. And so about this time, Grandma, you see here, comes in with her words of wisdom to try to help Gil. She said, I remember when I was young, I went to an amusement park, and I rode the roller coaster up, down, up, down. It was so thrilling, exciting, and yet frightening all at the same time. Oh, up, down. Thrilling, exciting, yet threatening and frightening all at the same time. She says, I always wanted to go again. She says, some folks just wanted to go on a merry-go-round. That just goes around. Nothing. Just goes around. And she walks off. (laughs) And Karen looks at Gil and says, your mother is brilliant. And he's, you see him here, you see him right here, Uh, he's like, he throws up his arms and says, yes, I was really confused about life, and then grandma comes in with her roller coaster story, and it's all clear to me now. And then she has some sewing in her bobbin or something, a pin cushion in her hands, and she throws it at him, and touches her stomach and says, I happen to like the roller coaster. (laughs) Oh, well, and you know, what a great scene, and it does say a lot about parenting. I think Grandma was a little hard on uh, merry-go-rounds. I think she was a little hard on merry-go-rounds. I like merry-go-rounds. Now, if we were to think of the metaphor that she was sharing about children... The merry-go-round would be what kind of child? What do we call those, those kinds of children that are like the merry Oh, well, let me ask you this first. Describe a merry-go-round for me. How would you describe it? Then we'll put a name to it. How about that? A merry-go-round. Predictable, is that what I heard? Absolutely. I kind of like a merry-go-round. You kind of know where it's going, right? It's pretty predictable. Another word that would go with that would be what? Consistent. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. It's either going this way or that way, one or the other. It's predictable. It is what? Safe. Yeah, merry-go-rounds are pretty safe. They're kind of balanced, right? They're pretty balanced, pretty stable. They're fun. Yeah, I think Grandma's kind of hard on merry-go-rounds. I actually like merry-go-rounds. You know what kind of children we call those? We call those compliant children, don't we? I have one. My oldest son, Alan, was a compliant child. I mean, if they were all like Alan, you'd have a dozen for sure. I can remember, this is a true story, uh, I can remember in 18 years of his raising only two times when I had to take him by the throat, maybe I shouldn't say it that way, <laughs> by the shirt, and say, son, you won't do that again. I can only remember two times. Now, I'm not saying there were only two times where we disciplined him. I'm saying 
there was only two times when I really had to get his attention. Son, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> you with me? Now, that's a compliant child. That's merry-go-round. We'd have a dozen. But we all know that some children are like a roller coaster. Now, how would you describe the roller coaster? Well, give me some adjectives. Hang on. Hang on. The, that could be dangerous. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> yes. What else? Difficult. Exciting on one hand. High. Oh, yes. We go high. We go low. About the time I think we're going to go up, we go down. About the time we think we're going to this way, we... Isn't that kind of way a roller coaster does? Any other adjectives out there? Very much unpredictable. Can't see as well. Uh, where we're headed is pretty uncertain at times, right? Matter of fact, one lady on uh, this picture here says, yeah, they kind of make you want to throw up. I'm like, I think I know what you mean. What name do we give these children? Have you ever heard of a strong-willed child? <laughs> a difficult child? Kind of makes you want to throw up sometimes. It's pretty stormy periods sometimes. Yeah. Well, our second child, Amy, was our strong-willed child. Our roller coaster child. By the way... FYI, we only had two children. Remember I said a dozen? Yeah, we decided to stop at two. Right? Yeah. She was our strong-willed child. Bless her heart. She, uh, she's always been good at writing notes. So, some of her early writing to mom. I'm going to run away. I already have lots of blankets and lots of clothes. I know, N-O-W, that you know, N-O-W, why I'm going. But just in case, I'll tell you. The reason I'm going is because nobody loves me. Maybe you can catch me. Love, Amy. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? Oh, and then she's got these big old hearts with Amy, Mom, with an arrow. Of course, I'm standing here like, where's dad in the picture? Maybe that was the problem. I don't know, perhaps. Now, I'm here to tell you, Amy was our strong-willed child. And as much humor there is in this note, and I still have it to this day, uh, it carries uh, the idea that uh, nobody loves me was far more pervasive in her life than I'd like to admit. Maybe it's part of being a strong-willed child, but it's like I spent 16, 18 years trying to convince this strong-willed child that we love you. You're lovable. Yeah, it's much harder than I would, uh, uh, would have thought. 
would have thought. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a parent and you have a strong-willed child, there's blessings in strong-willed children. In many respects, she's very talented and such, and even though there were some really stormy periods of adolescence, I remember uh, one special occasion that to me would say, hey, you hang in there with your strong-willed child. I remember when she was about eight or so, it'd be a few years after this, uh, I was uh, living in, we were living in Abilene, Texas, and uh, I had left public accounting as a career, but I was having to go back to Mississippi and tend to some CPA business that was not particularly desirable with my old firm. And so Amy picked up on the idea that I was, this was not a fun trip, a pleasure trip, that I was anxious about this trip. And on top of the business with my old firm, I had to fly. Now, I don't like to fly. I'm a white knuckle flyer. I will do it. Uh, the, the rational side of me says, yes, it makes sense. The emotional side of me says there's not anything sensible about being 36,000 feet off the ground, okay? And everything I own that's mechanical breaks down. So I'm a white-knuckle flyer. I don't enjoy it. And so Amy had picked up on my anxiety about this trip. And so my strong-willed daughter, as I'm going through the gate about to board the plane, hands me this envelope. I didn't bring it with me uh, this morning. It's an envelope. And it says, this package has in it one letter to Daddy on his way home. One letter to Daddy on his way to Mississippi, several cards and a picture. So I'm certainly anxious to see what's inside. And so the first thing I do is look at the picture. And it says, Amy, have a nice trip. Now I'm here to tell you in the Abilene Airport, the plane I was getting on was not as big as this one. And I can assure you it was not a Delta. Okay. <laughs> And, but I, I really appreciated her art and her drawings, got the houses and people and, and this little cart thing. I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty good for somebody that hadn't been in an airport that I know of. But anyway, you see the plane's going to taxi this way and this one's waiting. It was actually a good drawing, but I was certainly interested in her writings. And so I quickly found the one on the way to Mississippi, dear daddy, plane trips aren't that bad. I'm like, well, how would she know? She's never flown. If you get worried, just pray to God. This is my strong-willed daughter. I'll be praying for you. I really hope you have a nice trip. I'll mention you in Bible class. Say hello to everyone. Love, Amy. <laughs> And then she had, I should have brought them to show you, I guess, that you know the little note cards, the little small ones that have a scripture or saying on one side or, you know. Well, she had about six of those in there, and I just kind of copied the back side of them. So you'll see what she wrote. She says, I'll be thinking about you and praying for you. Have a nice trip. And then this one here, 
if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. She says, I hope to see you soon. Amy, the hope part really bothered me. <laughs> I hope to see you soon. Uh, what's with that? Be strong and take heart. All you who have... All you who hope in the Lord, I'll be praying for you on your trips. Amen. Fear not, for I'm with you. Isaiah, don't worry, plane trips aren't that bad. (laughs) And then ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be If you ever get worried, pray. This is my strong-willed dog. And the last one is normally pretty tough for me. She's got Proverbs. A friend loves at all times. She scratches out the friend, puts daughter. The other side said, you are God's gift to me. I love you, Amy. You know, those cards, I have them to this day. I'd fight you for them. I'd hurt you, hurt you if you tried to take them. Where'd she learn to do that? Frankly, she learned it from her mother, who put little cards in her lunch meals to take to school. And she's doing likewise. So obviously I was excited about the trip home to read the card her note. She says uh, I guess you saw from your first plane trip that they aren't so bad. That's a logical analytical thinker. I guess you saw from your first plane trip they're not that bad. Everyone here has been and is praying for you here. When you get home We'll have a big surprise. I'm looking forward to seeing you. See you soon. Love, Amy. Strong-willed. Had some stormy periods of adolescence. Tough time. Uh, Was on the 16-year college plan, as best I recall. Yeah, that's right. It didn't necessarily get a lot better real soon. She's in a better place now. I'm still, I think I've finally convinced her how much her dad loves her. Um, But it kind of leads me to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. You may wonder, hey, what's that got to do with this? And I would suggest to you that parenting is a place of spiritual warfare Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you may wonder what's that got to do with parenting and I would say everything you don't get married and the devil leaves you alone you don't bring children into this world and the devil leaves them alone and one of my most favorite quotes 
We're in a raging battle for the hearts of our children, and I would add grandchildren, that begins at the cradle and never ends this side of the grave. All parenting and grandparenting is a place of spiritual warfare. We're in a raging battle for the hearts of our children and our grandchildren, listen to me, that begins at their cradle and should never end this side of my grave. Amen. As long as I live, I'll be doing battle for the character, the competence, and the faith of my children and my grandchildren. And I know you will, too. I suggest to you, like the movie said, children are not like appliances. When it comes to parenting, there are no guarantees. When I talk to parents, I tell them, and I think it's an important message. When it comes to parenting, there are no guarantees. There's not anything that I can tell you that comes with a guarantee. It's all about a probability. It's all about improving the odds. It's all about giving them the opportunity to choose well and to do well in their lives. But there are no guarantees. You might... Uh, speak of a, of a verse, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I suggest to you that that's not a guarantee. It's a probability. And the research actually shows that, that most children, even children that kind of go off and do their own thing and and difficult places and all that, the vast majority come back to core family values, things that they were taught and modeled in their home. Most of them come back over some time. So I think it's true, but it's not a guarantee. Let me see what my time is doing. Nine, okay, I've got a little time. We can maybe go a little further here. Uh... I don't know about you, I always enjoyed that show, The Waltons. Not a very good picture, but that's the house from uh, the series, The Waltons. You remember that, right? Uh, More of an agrarian kind of society at that time, right? And so I would ask you, do you believe that parenting is more difficult today than it was, say, in the 1930s? Or if so, what makes it more difficult? Let me see if I can hear from some of you. Uh, One question is, do you believe it's more difficult today? Uh, And if so, in what way? Or at least, do you believe it's different today? If so, in what way? Could you guys help me out with that? What do you think? More difficult? Not? Okay. Technology is, uh, is very different today than it was then. A matter of fact, I told a group last week, if your child has one of these and you don't have some really good controls over it, it's like you have sent them to a battlefield on a foreign land without you coming to their defense. if you're not helping manage such technology that's available these days. There's all sorts of good, bad, and ugly here 
Yes. Okay, we're far more fragmented, we're far more isolated from one another, perhaps, we are, and perhaps the day-to-day -day routine of life in terms of work and such would tend to separate us rather than to bring us together. In an agrarian society, we were out there pulling weeds together. <clears throat> we were out there <clears throat> harvesting crops together, Right? We did a, our work, economic life, the very survival of the family would tend to bring us together, whereas today we're far more fragmented. Is that what I'm hearing? <clears throat> what else? Well, we used to depend on, <clears throat> quote, the village helping raise the child. Now we're afraid that the child will go out into the village. Wow. Absolutely. Wow, what excellent point. There was a time where we had a much greater, listen to me, church and community influence in a positive way, right? And, uh, but nowadays it's like, wow, the village has changed. We can't count on the village. And uh, may need to be careful of this, but sometimes we have to be careful with our own community of faith. I remember one time, uh, don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but I was sitting on the back row, and my nephew and some other child were sitting in front of me during communion. They were just talking with each other. And I had about all that I could stand. And I finally leaned forward, and I said, would the two of you please be quiet? And kind of like that. Would you know, one of them was my nephew, so... I knew I could get away with that. Would you know the mother of the other child cornered me that evening and said, don't you ever correct my child. We don't even use the village we got, you know. Wow, yes. Anybody else different? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Real repercuss repercussions, right? And we might, if you guys want to, one week talk about the whole spank spanking thing. But it's like, nowadays, if you do that in a public place, uh, somebody's going to call the law on you, right? Absolutely. Uh, anything else? Let's go here and back here. I'm sorry, I'm not even looking way back there. Let's go here, then way back here. Absolutely. Media uh, holds up so many unhealthy lifestyles uh, before our children uh, these days. Let's go way back here.
Yes, I really appreciate that thought. Uh, could I frame it this way, which I think you said it well, is within the agrarian society, uh, it was part of the daily routine of life that children were raised to be contributors because the very survival on the, of the family depended on their contribution. Uh, literally, I've heard my aunt tell the story. If you didn't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and milk the cow, then everyone at the breakfast table was looking to you, right? Because you had a contribution to make. Whereas what I believe I heard you saying very well was that nowadays uh, our routines, are li routines of life are such that children are raised primarily perhaps to be consumers, not contributors. And parents are the providers of goods and services. And grandparents may be providers of goods and services. How about we put a bow on this conversation here and pick up, I'm going to give you some more specific things about differences in the 30s versus today. The significance of that is, I think I can show you much as I believe you've already said that parenting is even more challenging today. That's why it's so critical that we be intentional about grandparenting. We need to help our children and in, in the influence we have in the lives of our grandchildren. Does that make sense? I hope that's where we want to pick up and, and uh, next week. Let's pray together.